Welcome to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast featuring women who work in sport. My name is Bobby Sue Doyle Hazard. I am your host. And how did the first week of the year go for you? Mine went pretty well. Um, I fell down on a couple of my goals, but that's all right. Baby steps. Before I give a quick little blurb about this week's guest and, um, and the interview for the week, I want to talk about two quick things. The first is a reminder that applications for the Winning Edge Leadership Academy retreat being held in June in South Florida. Um, those applications are for current or former af- uh, student athletes who want to get into the sports business. And the applications are due by February 1st. So if you're thinking about going, get that done, get it in. I'll be there. So will Maria Taylor from College Game Day. I hope to see a few of you. The other thing has zero, and I mean absolutely nothing to do with this podcast, but I'm telling you about it anyway, because I I just have to amplify my friends when amazing things are happening. And one of them, one of my friends from law school, Lauren Stahl, um, just released her debut novel, and it is so good. I don't typically read fiction. I'm usually a nonfiction gal, but this is such a good, suspenseful, intriguing, and funny book. Um, I tore through 90 pages in the first night of reading it. Uh, the second night, I tore through another 100, which means I'm not getting to bed as early as I need to. Thanks, Lauren. <laughs> but um, it's called The Devil's Song. And again, it's by Lauren Stahl. That's S-T-A-H-L. And I suggest you all get it. I'll have a link to it um, in the uh, blog post for this episode, whenever that goes up, um, which I'm catching up, by the way. Um, And uh, I'm trying to coordinate with Lauren. I'm going to have her be on the podcast at some point, because even though she's not sports related, um, she has a really interesting career path um, going from being an ADA and, and now an author. And I think, She will have some interesting insights for y'all. Anyway, um, this week's guest is Tara Black, the COO of the Charlotte Checkers. It's a great conversation. We get into um, a lot of the very big projects that she has worked on over the years that she's been in hockey. We talk a little bit about um, retaining employees and working with millennials and, and how that's a little bit different. And then there's some talk about cats, but what would an episode be if I didn't talk about an animal, right? Enjoy the episode. Since it is January and I am quite literally freezing here in Tampa, it seems apropos that I have this guest on. With me today is Tara Black, the Chief Operating Officer for the Charlotte Checkers, the American Hockey League affiliate of the NHL's Carolina Hurricanes. Her career in hockey is expansive and includes roles in everything from travel coordinator to athletic trainer to equipment manager. In 2016, she was named the first ever female winner of the James C. Hendy Award as the American Hockey League's Outstanding Executive. And that's an award that has existed since 1962. Also in 2016, she was named to the Sports Business Journal's Game Changers class. So welcome, Tara. 
Well, thank you for having me. I've been very much looking forward to this. <laughs> me too. Your background is, I was so excited to talk to you because we have so many, so many little uh, things that I can dig into, but I want to start by asking you, how did you fall in love with sports? Well, I think um, being an, uh, an athlete, I think my, my dad skied. I know we, we grew up in Northern California and um, he was in ski patrol. And so just being involved in sports from literally the moment I was born, um, I just I, I've loved it my whole life. I um, played all kinds of sports through high school. And um, yeah, it was just an environment that I felt was energetic and constantly rewarding in so many different ways, whether or not you were winning or losing, you're always sort of um, learning something from that. So yeah, I started uh, my love of, of any game really um, uh, as far back as I can remember. That's awesome. I, I love how so many women that come on were athletes and how that's <clears throat> kind of built who they are and their character and um, their drive to be in the industry. And you started out as an athletic trainer. Yes, yes, I did. And, and, and funny how you never, you know, when you're, <clears throat> excuse me, in your early twenties or late teens, trying to figure out where you're going to land in your life. And you kind of naturally gravitate to the things that you love. And, um, so being an, uh, an athlete, you're in the training room all the time. And so I started to explore all those types of options and was a student trainer in college. And, um, that's kind of where it all began. And I, I just, I thought it was just so fun and, and such a rewarding, so you could dabble in medicine while at the same time being on the field and, <laughs> um, or in my case, uh, the rink. So yeah, it was, uh, it started very early and I've never, ever looked back. You, um, you went to San Diego state university where you got your bachelor of science in kinesiology. Did you know going into San Diego state that that's what you wanted to do? Um, yeah, so I sort of took a really or non-traditional um, path in my in my college career. Um, I was um, unsure. I was living in Northern California in a tiny town called Grass Valley, which is sort of uh, the foothills of, of Tahoe. Um, if you're familiar with that area, and um, so I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And, and instead of wasting a whole bunch of money in a uh, for my parents in a four year university, I started out in junior college. And that was the decision that sort of made all the difference. And you look back not knowing, <laughs> I mean, obviously hindsight being 2020 was the best decision I made because I was a student trainer in the athletic training room there. And the team doctor for the football team there was also the team doctor for the hockey team in Sacramento who offered me my first internship. So um, by, by that uh, path, I was working full-time pretty much my entire college career. So it took me quite some time to graduate and I transferred to San Diego state, um, late, much later than <clears throat> most people even graduate from college. So I was already married when, when I graduated from San Diego state. So yes, the answer to your question is yes. I knew very much what I wanted to do. And it was essentially just getting the degree to check that off my list and to be qualified for all the other positions I'd hope to get in my life. Um, but, but college was definitely sort of, um, a byproduct of being in a great place, a right place at the right time. It is so incredible and actually pretty helpful in the hockey world because so many guys go to juniors, um, yeah. before going into, um, their, you know, university or college careers. That's right. That's right. It's a, it's a really, um, sort of wonderful way to develop. And <clears throat> I, uh, you know, I have a two year degree. I got an associate's degree, which most people don't have. And, um, and, and paid much less for my college education than I would have if I had gone to a full four year and, and had the opportunity to, um, 
to dabble really and, and be in a professional sports setting as an intern. And then um, fortuitously, the trainer actually left the team and I was the intern and sort of there and I was able to take over for the season under the tutelage of our team doctor. And again, all of these wonderful opportunities opened up as a result of just sort of, you know, going with my instinct and, and not taking the path most traveled uh, yeah. rather than one least traveled and, and doing my college a little bit differently. I love that. I, I mean, my path into my current position was a little off kilter <laughs> compared to many. But um, so whenever I hear these stories and, you know, you having the, I guess, confidence to seize those opportunities is pretty phenomenal in and of itself. Yeah. You know, I, um, I, you, you, when you're in that situation, you don't really realize that you're seizing opportunities, right? Like I think when you get into, you know, I'm in my forties now and I look back and I'm like, wow, that was a great opportunity that I had no, <laughs> I unknowingly seized. Well, I mean, and so much of, of what I think success is, is fate being on your side and people surrounding you that give you the confidence. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with, it was funny. Um, I was, when I graduated from college, I was 20 late in my late twenties, actually. Um, and I was pregnant with my, with, uh, we ended up losing the, my first daughter, but anyway, I was pregnant with her. So I really graduated with my cap and gown being pregnant, which, you know, you can imagine how that feels <laughs> at San Diego state being nine months pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> so to say that I was a little bit different, um, really probably doesn't even do that justice. <laughs> well, and that opportunity to, um, to work with the team and mm-hmm. to get into that, um, that role, the many roles you had with the goals is how you met your husband, correct? Right. Actually, um, I met him in Sacramento. So he played, um, he played professional ice hockey. He signed with the Penguins early on. Um, after he went to junior hockey, he was in journey hockey in, in uh, the Pacific Northwest and signed with the Penguins and was in their system for a couple of years and then went over to Europe and had a very nice storied professional ice hockey career. And then this is when the RHI uh, developed, which was Roller Hockey International. Um, and that's the team. <laughs> it's just crazy. <laughs> Wait, what is roller hockey? It's on roller skates? No, it's on rollerblades. And I, this is the, is this, like I say, I cannot make this up. So in Sacramento, it was the Sacramento River Rats. And this was a league that was started by Larry and Nancy King. And Larry King was married prior to being married to Nancy. He was married to Billie Jean King of tennis fame. Stop it. I swear. So they started this roller hockey league and there were teams all over the country and they were legit. Like we flew everywhere. It was a big budget, uh, league, uh, Kuzak Wheels, like all of these different companies, these big sponsors came on board. And so the Sacramento team was the Sacramento River Rats, of which um, <laughs> I can't with that name. <laughs> it's super classy. Um, it sounds like something that you would see in. Um, uh, oh, gosh, what is it? Roller Derby. Like that yeah. sounds like that type of name. Right. Well, so the beauty of this roller hockey league was that it was in the summer when, when guys, when professional hockey players were in their off season. So it was this new, obviously in the nineties, you know, so you can, it just screams nineties. It was like bright greens and purples and our team wasn't purple, (laughs) but just everything you can think about the nineties was what this league represented it represented. But anyway, it was legit. And so I, um, I started my athletic training career there with all of these pro ice hockey players that were 
kind of trying this new Southern California, sorry, Central California was our team, but there are teams in Southern California and New Jersey and Vancouver and Colorado, <laughs> all over the country. <laughs> you should Google it. It is fascinating. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm going to, I will find some videos to put up for everybody. Oh my gosh. I will send you, um, I'll send you a couple of photos. And, <laughs> yes. um, so I was the only athletic trainer in the league at the time that was a female in hockey period. And, um, and our, the actual trainer trainer, the legit guy that they had hired had quit to go work for another team. And so I took that on and the equipment manager role, even though I had literally no clue about any sort of equipment management, how you do that. <laughs> and I just researched, I literally just researched, like, how do you rivet a skate and riveting a skate with four wheels on it, as opposed to a blade, it would seem totally um, two different things, but it's very similar. So literally it was by um, throwing myself into it and, and convincing myself that I could just figure it out. It can't be that complicated. Right. So I did. And, um, and our team doctor was fantastic. He taught me how to do stitches and, and all kinds of really great things that you probably couldn't get away with all the liability in this day and age. Um, but when my kid falls outside, I can either send her to the ER or <laughs> take out my sewing kit. <laughs> sure. I mean, why not? <laughs> right, right. There's nothing unsterile about that. That's totally fine. You have vodka, I'm sure. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Here, bite on this rag. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever had oh, boys, I can only imagine how that, oh, that would get. Yeah, I even our girls, I mean, it took a, an act of Congress, really. I mean, we were if they if they had, you know, a serious injury, we would take them to the doctor. But they um, they are very tough girls and and certainly don't cry very much <laughs> when they get injured <laughs> because they know better. <laughs> well, I can only imagine. I think growing up in hockey does can, you know, does that. Yeah. I think same yeah. with football. I mean, those are two sports where, like, you just grow up really tough. Um, and, yeah. And hockey guys are are an, a unique breed of men in like mm -hmm. the best way. Absolutely, and I will I will advocate for that statement for my entire life. It has been, <clears throat> um, I, you know, I think I told you in our last conversation that it's never felt like work to me, and it, they are the most classy, um, down to earth organically genuine human beings that I've had the pleasure of working with. I mean, not, not only just the players, but management and um, league leadership, you know, I've been surrounded by a whole bunch of men my whole entire career and I, I cannot speak more highly of them. They're just, it's been fantastic. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm fortunate that I, I feel like I have that same experience here um, <clears throat> where I am. Um, I also know that in college, I might have hung out with the, with the hockey guys, maybe. <laughs> well, so you know, <laughs> yeah. and they're super sweet. They are. <laughs> going, back, going back to your question. So I did meet my husband, Jamie, in, um, in Sacramento. But being that I was a woman in this business, it was an enormous conflict of interest at that time for me to be even, you know, considering any sort of relationship with anybody in the business. Um, and so he and I didn't actually catch up until another probably three or four years later down the road when we were both working for a tournament series and there was no longer a, um, a conflict of interest. And so our friendship had, had lasted three years when he was playing overseas. And um, anyway, at that point, that's when we um, we became, yeah, a, a thing. Well, and the <laughs> conflict, <clears throat> to be clear, it was really more the fact that you were um, on the business side and he was a 
player. Correct. Exactly. And because at that, like I said, back, this is 22 something years ago, I felt that, you know, especially I was, I was an anomaly with, uh, with my gender and I did not want any sort of blurred lines and, and, you know, I was just not, I friendly, first I wasn't ready to be in any sort of long-term relationship. I was ready to kind of just pursue my career and, um, but he, he's, um, a one of a kind person and was just a great friend and, and ended up being uh, one of my lifelong mentors in this business because, you know, there are a lot of things that I didn't naturally know about the sport and I would bounce off of him, you know, before I'd say it out loud in a room of my colleagues and some things he would say, Oh no, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) Do not say that out loud. Please never say that again. (laughs) Yeah. When we, when we're offline, I will tell you some of my suggestions for new hockey, for new goalie moves. (laughs) Oh, sweet. Yeah. So anyway, (laughs) anyway, it's been great. I mean, it's not like hockey would have been something you naturally gravitated to with where you grew up um, in California. And um, when as I had so much fun doing my research on you because like every, you know, two lines of whatever I was, I was reading, I was either laughing or I was just so excited for you. Um, <laughs> one of the things that cracked me up was uh, the quiz that you had to take and pass in order to be allowed to marry your husband per his, yes. per his family. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh gosh, yes. What, what learning the provinces? Yeah. <laughs> and and just um, hockey general generality right. rules. Yeah, just hockey in general and skating and um you know, Canadians are um they are very very the majority of them I'm not don't want to generalize are very loyal to their country sport and um I certainly wanted to be legitimate and uh, my father and I, Law and I, have gone toe to toe a few times, and I'm proud to say that I think we have a very mutual respect of one another at this juncture. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Um, it, you know, one of the things that impresses me is the fact that you do end up throughout your career, and um, even now, because every it seems like every couple of years there's a new big challenge for you within your industry, within your organization, whichever one you happen to be at at the time. Um, but you're just like full steam ahead, tackle it. And it, it seems to work out extremely well. Right. I think, uh, I think we had a little bit of this conversation before, but I believe, um, vehemently and fiercely that surrounding yourself by great people is the success to life in every category of it. Um, and I, you know, I've been blessed to have an owner here, uh, Michael Kahn, who owns the checkers, um, here in Charlotte and is also a, a large minority partner of the hurricanes in Raleigh. Um, he has, um, coincidentally, uh, surrounded himself by a lot of very professional and powerful women in his life and all in different mm. businesses. So he believes that is the key to success in his life, which is why we get along so well. <laughs> Um, and, uh, he's allowed me to do great things and he gives me the tools to do it. And he, he's, um, which is hard sometimes for an owner to step out of the way and, and allow the people that you've hired to, to do their job. And, um, so I give him a lot of credit and a lot of, um, of where I've come from as a result of him. I never thought I'd be in Charlotte for 11 years, (laughs) you know, and I think, and I wanted to say this to you, Bobby, to see the, um, 
the, you know, the next logical thing would be to to go to an NHL team or to go to league the league. And I am I am so happy at this level. I'm so happy at the American Hockey League level. There's so much creativity that you're allowed to pursue um, it, in doing whatever you want with your team and, and not right. being totally over. Um, I wouldn't say overmanaged, but just managed by the league and, and your website has to be the same as everybody else and, and all of those things. So um, I've been in Charlotte for 11 years as a result of great people, um, of great ownership and really, truly loving, loving my job. There's nothing there's I, I have enough. There's mm-hmm. nothing more that I could um, I could wish for. So, yeah, I love that. I mean, the, I get so happy when I hear the happiness radiate from other people when they speak of their jobs, their careers, whatever it is in their life. And um, I think it helps energize me sometimes, right? When I'm like Mm -hmm. maybe having a week where I'm like, meh, Um, which isn't to say that that's the case right now, but um, I just, it's so rare. I feel like Um, it's more common in the sports industry because I think we all have that that deep passion, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But it, in general, it's just such a rarity for people to truly love where they're at and, and who they're with. And your organization and your leadership there has um, allowed, you know, I know you to be able to spend more time with your family and your staff to do the same with theirs. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Um, <clears throat> we have, which is sometimes counterintuitive in the world of sports. And I think it's becoming much more, um, uh, much more common practice. I, I would hope is that, you know, time is a currency that you don't earn more of, you know, you can't get more of it no matter how hard you try. And, and we're in sports, but it doesn't mean you have to be, you know, sitting in your chair in your office, you know, 80 hours a week. So we've created a flex schedule where our staff works four days a week. We have, we close the office, you know, at the end of the season, we close it at Christmas and it's really created an environment where our staff which is which is tough when you're in in sports in general to keep your employees and and especially in the millennial generation to keep them moving for a short period of time (laughs) so we we have um, a lot of people that have stuck around because they are realizing that time time is as important as money in some cases so yes we have a great working culture and um, a lot of great projects here in Charlotte and and Charlotte's a really wonderful market and we work closely with all of the, the teams here and Cam Newton just came to our game um, before the break and we did a big fundraiser for his foundation and it was his first hockey game. And Oh, cute. Yeah, it was really, really great. He, um, we wore jerseys that he designed and I, if you know Cam Newton, he's got a um, very unique fashion sense. So mm-hmm. to um, allow him to create our jerseys and he actually had a, a tremendous amount of input on what they look like and, like and our team for them and, uh, uh, for the whole game, which we won, I think it was seven to one. So it was a touchdown we scored, which was <laughs> ironic. <laughs> and he was there and he saw his first fight and he videotaped the fight on his phone. He was pounding <laughs> on the glass. So it was just a really unique. So things like that um, are generally what make me love my job so much. It's just a, a really, really great place. Do you, um, I, I don't think, I'm trying to think of if I've been to a, an AHL game before um Uh, is it similar to minor league baseball in that it's like super family oriented and and there's also a lot of um crossover with roles 
Yes. So yes, it's uh, in level. I would say it's it's akin to the AAA baseball. However, the amount of um, crossover between the players going back and forth between their NHL parent club and their AHL team is much more prolific. So about it's about ninety percent year over year of the players that are playing in the NHL have at one point played in the American Hockey League. Um, and, you know, we have a tremendous amount of back and forth and these are their young prospects. So they are, they're here to develop. And sometimes we have them for a year. Sometimes we have them for two months. Right. Um, but generally speaking, um, it is a very fluid two-way street uh, with players coming back and forth. So, yes, similar to AAA baseball, but much more, um, I think, prolific in sharing players. And then with um, on the business side, the the staff and stuff, is there a lot of crossover there? I know in minor league baseball, um, you're likely to do a little bit of everything every day. Yes. So um, on the hockey side, the staff is actually managed in uh, the hurricanes handle the hockey staff. So they I don't manage them. Um, but our team staff um much more so when we were in the ECHL, which was the league before that, where below the American League, was that everybody wore six or seven hats. We mm-hmm. have a um, much more um, complete staff now, and we've got 25-ish people. But yes, I mean, in any given day, somebody can throw the mascot costume on and <laughs> head on out to shake hands at a school carpool line, right? And I am... Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, I'm proud to say that I think the majority of my staff has done that at one point or another. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I, I've spoken with a few different women who, you know, we've all at some point or other been a pizza or something, you know, like, <laughs> totally. I know is, you're standing on a concourse sometimes and, you know, we have Smoothie King was a sponsor of ours at one point, And then we have Chubby who's our mas- mascot and, you know, various other giant stuffed creatures that are wandering around the concourse <laughs> and dancing and, and you're standing there thinking, this is what I've done with my life. <laughs> I, I, I have, a, I have arrived. it's almost you know uh blasphemy if you say you've never been in a mascot uh, oh yeah uniform for sure i mean for sure and it's actually a rite of passage like you you actually have to get in there and you have to smell how bad it smells on the inside (laughs) (laughs) well and then which you know brings up another interesting thing about hockey which is the the stench (laughs) Um, and, and I'll mention this to people. They're like, but you've got football players. I'm like, I, you don't understand our locker room is so there, there's so much HVAC involved in our locker room that like you, you would have no idea the guys were there. Right. When I was in college, when I was at UMass and I was working hockey games Mm -hmm. for the athletic marketing department, you're, you're like three hallways away and you can smell it. It is, um, it is a scent like no other. And in fact, I, I'm sure, you know how there's like on the spectrum, the color spectrum, there's colors that don't have names. Yeah. I, I feel like the smell is that like, there's no name. There's nothing that can describe it. It is virtually like they, they we have all kinds of chemical, not chemicals, but biohazard stuff that you wash everything with. But I think it's just the accumulation of sweat inside of gloves and so much padding. Yeah. Um, it just, it just is unbelievable. <laughs> right. It's like, and, Im- imagine wearing a mattress 
that <laughs> has no pad on it and like all of the bottle. Yeah, it's just. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, there's no way you can ever get it all out. And and the interesting thing also is it is it sticks to the skin like <clears throat> after a season, it takes um, some time. And I know this from um, a great deal of experience with my husband that his hands would smell like that funk for a very long time. And then I felt like if you even hold hands or whatever, it's going to transfer. And so <laughs> it's like you got to really love someone. <laughs> So here's, uh, here's to, here's the love. <laughs> yeah. It's one, it, it, but it's so bizarre because after a while you almost don't smell it. Almost. No, and, and, and no, you'd almost don't. And it almost becomes, um, it's like flossing your teeth, you know, when it kind of hurts, but you keep doing it cause it kind of feels good. Right. Yeah. That's kind of the smell. Like it's the smell of hockey and, um, and it's almost like a scent that is endearing after a while. Right. So it's crazy. Like that's, you walk into a locker room like, oh, it's hockey season. <laughs> yes. yes. It was one of those things that I, I at, by the end of the season, I was like, I'm going to miss this. <laughs> totally. like, what? Yeah, so yeah, we are weird creatures, but we, yes, I completely agree. <laughs> we certainly are. Um, <laughs> some of the, you've, you've been involved in so many really cool projects. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, first it was the transition from ECHL to the AHL, Mm -hmm. which along with that came with a uniform change, um, the Coliseum renovation um, and moving back there. Um, Can you talk about that time period a bit? Yes, definitely. So um, when our owner purchased the ECHL Charlotte Checkers, we were an affiliate of the New York Rangers and we were one league below what we are now. And his ultimate goal was to bring an American League franchise to Charlotte, which would be the most southernmost um, geographic territory for the American Hockey League. So it would be a big, massive project to get that done in the first place. Anyway, we ended up getting that done. And uh, we were in Time Warner Cable Arena at the time, which is where the uh, Bobcats, now Hornets, play. and um, all of this happened while we were in season. So it was a really, well, it sounds like an easy thing to transition from the ECHL to the AHL. We wanted, we wanted, and we wanted to do it in a way that respected the history of the East coast hockey league when we had spent so many years in it. And while at the same time, welcoming, welcoming in the American hockey league, which was a totally different brand of hockey, a much, much greater um, pace. Obviously you have all your NHL prospects. And in addition Mm -hmm. to that, we were um, now going to be the affiliate of the Carolina Hurricanes who had won the Stanley Cup in 2006. So it was a really big identity change for us. And my my biggest, um, I'd say, responsibility was, again, maintaining the respect and the, and the appreciation for the history and where we were. And then transitioning into something super exciting and introducing it as uh, this new brand. We changed our colors. We moved the team down from Albany, New York. Um, and that was, a, that in and of itself was a factor that was important too, because they were losing their team and we wanted to be respectful of that. And anyway, so that was a, a massive project that ended up, um, and this is when social media was, a, was just coming on, on right. the scene and we use Facebook as our, as our, um, sort of our drive, it, it drove the whole campaign. And then we, we moved to family, um, actually the Bennett's. Um, this, this boy, he has, um, he's got a disease where, where soft tissue nerve, uh, tumors grow on his nerves and yeah, so he had, and his whole family has it and and the team was like his lifeblood. And so 
um, we literally orchestrated a plan to move the family from Albany, New York to Charlotte and much in the same fashion as, you know, a reveal. We, we bought them a home and we renovated as a staff. And um, that was that was an E60 um, program. Yeah, it was really great. I will send you the link. So that all happened the same year. And the Bennett's were sort of our, you know, sort of this, these um, unofficial mascots for our organization. And it was such a really great team entity and, or sorry, team project. And so that happened that same year. Um, and we had all of our sponsors on board, you know, people were donating HVAC and people were donating furniture and people were donating lawn care. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it was just really, it was really great. So there was all this momentum and bringing the team to the town and this family to town. And, and then just a couple years later, or a year later, actually, um, we decided that we wanted, it was, it was not sustainable for us to stay in the NBA building in Time Warner Cable Arena which is now Spectrum Center. Um, it was just too expensive. We got the worst dates. We were third in line to choose dates. And so um, we made the decision to move to a our previous facility, which was a 60-year-old building, um, and renovate that in uh, literally 90 days. So the process of getting there was a two-year process and getting city council to degree to the funding. And the building had sat vacant for um, since we had left, literally, and, and hosted graduations and whatnot. Oh so it was, yeah, so it was just crazy, wonderful process to get city council to approve an $18 million renovation of a 60-year-old facility that is just um, an incredible historical relic. It is such a great hockey building. And then we had to do that again, the same process and, and really appreciating our time at Time Warner Cable Arena and what that meant to our organization while at the same time planning for a move back to a 60 year old facility and what that was going to mean to our fans and to do it and actually renovate the Coliseum in 90 days before we would drop the puck in that season, uh, the next season. Um, was just epic. It was literally the most epic thing I've ever been involved with in my entire life. And as soon as you start pulling back the walls of a 60, Oh facility. my gosh. Yeah. I mean, you would be amazed <laughs> at what you find. <laughs> so our, um, Bobby Sue, our ice 10 days before the opener, our ice failed. Like we oh, couldn't, no. there was a leak in the floor. Um, and we had every expert in, flown in from everywhere and we were literally 10 days out. So in the 11th hour, my, the city, myself, um, all the powers that be decided to bring in a temporary uh, ice uh, rink. Like it's what you see in the outdoor classic, right? Yeah. It's an outdoor. yeah. And they built it on top of our existing rink and we played on that the entire season. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> yeah. So you can just imagine the stress, right? Because usually you want your ice down much sooner than 10 days. And we took possession of the building within five days of our opener with a brand, brand new everything. Like it was you know, learning how to drive when you've never been in the seat of a car, basically. Right. So um, all of that happened. And that was the year that, that the James C. Hendy Award was was awarded because of um, we pulled through and we had the best opener um, we'd ever had and sold out the building and it all worked, which was miraculous. <laughs> how many seats are in that building? Uh, just about 8,400. Oh, that's a nice size. Yeah, it's perfect. This is just perfect for us. And now we have the best dates and you walk in yeah. and it feels like our, our barn and it's just, uh, it has been, we've never looked back and, uh, and it, it all worked. You, you, sometimes you, you know, I'm sure in your business too, you like, you put a plan on paper and you're <laughs> thinking, okay, this looks good on paper. And then right. 
you have to navigate through all the challenges that present themselves on the way. And then it works. You're like, I didn't actually think that was going to work. <laughs> Great. I mean, we, I, first of all, to undertake such a massive renovation in the short period of time you had is astonishing to me. I mean, we've been renovating our stadium the last few years, a bit each year. And, um, and, and it's different obviously, but like, the short, I, I remember, you know, we were, you know, crossing everything we could cross to make sure, like, our new seating area would be finished in time for the first home opener. Right. You know, and stuff like that. And, like, every every week there was something that it would pop up or we were trying to figure out or a last-minute project that's, that gets decided we're going to do, you know? <laughs> well, totally. And, and you don't even, I mean, when front of house, when, when you go and watch a sporting event or any sort of entertainment experience, you, you're there to experience and you don't think of back of house and you don't think about the logistics and how the lines are going to flow and the concession stands and how parking is going to be managed. And we took possession of our building, like I said, with about four days left. We didn't have a certificate of occupancy on, on the building. We didn't have that on the scoreboard. And so we finally got all of that. And just trying to think through all of the things that you don't even know that you don't know, right? Like right. you're bringing in eight, you know, 9,000 people and all the city dignitaries and all that. And how are we going to get them to buy chicken tenders in a way that is meaningful and not stressful for them and not time consuming in a building that's 60 years old? So there were so many hours, like late, late night hours of trying to think of every possible logistics complication and how to solve it if it were to arise, right? Right. And I think in leadership, that's, it's not, it's not the final product. It's how you get to the final product is what makes a good leadership team. Right. And everybody's perspective is considered. Oh, for sure. For sure. I think it's, it, it's one of those wonderful experiences that doesn't happen often having right. such a giant renovation. Um, you know, we see these different arenas um, and, and stadiums being renovated throughout the years, but to really be there for it is it. It's one of those things that you're not sure you'll ever experience somewhere else. Right. So right. Learning everything you can from it. And then I, I don't know, it's any, I'm one of those people now, whenever I go to a game or anything, I'm always looking at everything. Right. Yeah. And it's how I am with restaurants too, because I worked in the industry for 14 years. Right. And totally. <laughs> I can tell you that, you know, our waitress has two sections because somebody must have called out sick because <laughs> of the way she's running around or something like. Yeah. And so going through the renovation experience, see, like, I mean, even just looking at plans is so um, it, it can be so enlightening because you learn, the, you know, I'm sure a 60 year old building the amount of ADA things you had to look at was oh, out of control, yes. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, that is such a, a huge point that people, you don't realize until you get into, you know, knee deep into the renovation process and how how to make a 60-year-old facility accessible when, you know, even the stairs in our building have, it feels like they have different, ri like the rise is different in some of yeah. them. And you just, we are, grant you're obviously grandfathered in in certain circumstances, but just all of the changes that we had to make to uh, make it accessible and we're 
proud that we were able to do that. But other things like, you know, um, when you're building rink, I wanted to have the players come through our restaurant, much like the New York Rangers building at yeah. Madison Square Garden where the players come through. And, and that was like this really cool upgrade into this really kind of seedy bar area that it used to be. And, <laughs> and I was in there when we were under construction and I, you know, I have my hard hat on and my closed toe shoes. And I kept walking through the opening from where the guys would come through the locker room. Um, and into the Redline Club, and I, I just, I'm like, this is way, this doorway feels way too low. I, I just, there's no way a guy in skates can get through this doorway without hitting his head. I feel like it's too low. Can we look at the plans? And sure enough, it was, they had built it too low. And I, <laughs> and I was telling my husband, I said, what in the world would have happened had I not been there that day? Right? So we just, <laughs> I mean, they, we, Everybody duck. Everybody yeah. duck. <laughs> it's got to be minimum seven feet in order right. to get all of like, and that's yes. minimum. Um, right. There's some guys that are taller than that. Really yeah. tall. Yeah. Well, and just to think that you've got construction. So however many working parts and we've, we had three or four different construction crews working around the clock to get this done. And, you know, the, to have the hockey knowledge to know that these guys aren't going to fit through this door but in conjunction with all of these, you know, non-sport entities working on your Coliseum, I think the amount of stress that that contributes <laughs> is just monumental. I mean, I literally was like, oh my gosh, what else have we missed? Cause I wasn't there or, but anyway, it worked out. And to your point, the renovation process is um, one, everybody should go through at least once in their life, I think. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, just imagine <clears throat> renovating your own home and then multiply that by a thousand. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, but I can, um, I'm, I'm still laughing at the thought of the guys walking through that door. <laughs> duck, everybody <laughs> like, duck, duck, duck. <laughs> it's just so funny, but I, you know, and coordinating, you know, because certain, certain projects, um, in the renovation, um, you know, need one vendor to do something in a location that another one needs to do something and being able to, to, to time it all is, I mean, I'm just so impressed by how quickly you were able to get that done. Thank you. Uh, and it just, I mean, it's just another reason why I'm coming to visit at some point. Yes, um, I would love you to. And I will give you the, I will give you the true back of house tour, including the stench. <laughs> perfect. Um, anybody who's listening to this, who knows me from college is just shaking their head at me right now. I'm sure. <laughs> Um, it's all right I, I totally get you I get you <clears throat> I, I appreciate that there there are a few that do <laughs> um so um you know you guys your organization has done something else that's really cool um pretty different um particularly I think at the the level within the sport that you're in and that's starting your creative services business Yes. Yes. So we have a creative services business called Wintry um, that is housed within our uh, Charlotte Checkers Hockey LLC. Um, and we we hire, you know, I obviously was allowed, like I mentioned earlier, to hire the best in the business in terms of our entertainment experience. And mm -hmm. so as a result of that, we started to get a lot of inquiries from mostly our sponsors, but so also, you know, companies that were coming to our games as, as clients. Um, whether or not we could potentially produce, you know, videos or commercials or graphics for them. So, um, so it just sort of dawned on me one day that this would be a fantastic sort of secondary business that would help 
both sides. And, uh, and so that's where the idea was born. And, um, Eric Bridenstein, who has been on my staff for many, many years is a, a creative genius and he kind of heads up that department. And, um, well, now we do work for the Panthers, uh, eBay, um, Blue Cross Blue Shield. We've got a really sort of nice long client list that don't, uh, don't really even probably care too much about the hockey side of our business, but, uh, <laughs> utilize us. <laughs> they come to games as guests once in a while, but, uh, sure. yeah. So that's growing and has seen year over year, uh, revenue increases and we've grown substantially on our staffing on that side. And, um, yeah, it's really great because you could use our scoreboard. We have a you know state of the art scoreboard, and we can use that as a sort of a a place to show off people's video inventory once we've created them. And um, we have a lot of uh, expense offset because we use all that equipment for the team, so it allows Wintry to be a very affordable op- option for people looking for creative services. I mean, to to be able to recognize. Um the value of your staff and, and their, and to give them the, you know, the leeway to be able to be that creative, I think is, is something that you don't see very often. Um, and is the way to maximize them, you know, and get the most out of them. And so I think that's so awesome. Well, and you're, excuse me, you're in sports. So, you know, um, the acquisition and retention of talent is probably one of the biggest challenges an organization faces, especially in a bigger market where, you know, people are always looking to pluck your, your good ones. So this has allowed um, me to keep some truly talented and wonderful individuals in the, in the fold, both on the hockey side and the creative services side, because they are able to grow their careers without having to leave. Right. And to utilize their talent. I mean, it, that's, it's just great. Yeah, yeah. The retention of employees is so difficult in sports, um, particularly as, you know, you get to the higher levels. I feel like um, when people start in sales or something, you'll see a, a, a fair turnover when they're about to hit that next level. Right. And then same with like um, when someone's about to hit like, lower management, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. What have you been able to do to, to help with that there? So um, like every business, um, we are, we are facing the, um, the characteristics of the millennial generation where, <clears throat> you know, it's very different from the way that I grew up and the way that I was hired in each one of my positions. And so we've really focused on, on creating an environment that provides more than just monetary benefits. It's, it's funny. It's the money is important. It seems um, in a lot of cases, but sometimes it's just more than that. It's, it's the ability to be um, not micromanaged and to have the freedom to come and go as they please and to have, you know, a litany of time off and all of those things. So we've, we've very, very seriously calculated what is important to people, especially the younger generation, so that we at least get maybe two or three years out of them in those entry-level positions. Um, the cost of turnover, as I'm sure you are aware, is, is sometimes catastrophic to a, um, a business of any size, but especially a business of our size. Um, so we want to see them go through, especially in sales, the three years, you're, by the third year, you're the best you're, you've ever been and you've got a full client base and you're in a, a really great cycle. And then you look for promotions for them. And um, I don't know, Bobby Sue, it is a um, it is a challenge that is sometimes feels insurmountable, but we've been very lucky that we just make it fun, you know. 
Yeah. We make it a place that you want to come every day. And I feel like if you have to be micromanaged that you don't belong on my staff. And so we just don't hire those type of people that require that, um, right. which is, which has been helpful. <laughs> and I'm still trying to solve um, the millennials. I'm just trying to figure out what is best for them, what they want, you know, cause there's a point of diminishing return with us in terms of compensation for our entry level positions. Right. Um, and you can only pay so much. So hopefully they're garnering a tremendous amount of experience and I want them to be involved in every single department so that they get experiences and, you know, in marketing and sales and corporate sales and, you know, social media and PR so that when they leave, they are at least equipped to handle wherever they go next. And to that, I, I think it was a John Spolstra book, but you can have all the right people on the bus and then making sure that they're in the right seats is the, like the second level of good management, right? So you can right. have a whole staff of great people, but maybe they're not in their right positions and we're constantly tinkering to try to figure out what's best, what, how people can feel joy essentially when they come to work. Cause when they right. feel joy, they work harder. <laughs> right. Well, and if they feel that emotional connection to their job, yeah. then that's right. you're more likely to stay there. You're more likely to, um, to thrive, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was just looking at your, um, front office page and the, the lawyer in me wonders, um, who do you, do you use outside counsel for all of your legal stuff? Yes, we do. We have, uh, we have an outside, uh, it's Parker Poe here in Charlotte, but we also, um, we have just now switched over to Insperity, which is a, um, an employment organization essentially. So they've taken over all of our HR and our HR liability. Um, so that we are obviously up to date. I mean, that just the HR requirements in the world that we live in today are so time consuming that, that yeah. it, again, point of diminishing return with hiring an entire staff that would have, we would have managed that. So um, we have just made that switch. So that's been a really nice welcome sort of umbrella of care. That's really smart. I, th- I mean, yeah. I think, especially when you have such a small staff, right? Right. Yep. It, just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, there are some really fun things about you that make me giggle. And I'm like, which one do I start with? So you have two daughters. I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and um, I know that you well it happened today you're you try and uh, make a point to be at all of their games or meets or whatever it is that they're doing right that's correct yes yeah yeah oh go on I was just gonna say it's a challenge it's just a challenge but yes go ahead I'll let you finish your question (laughs) (laughs) well I was gonna say like how how is it that you make that happen you know you're not you're not in a, a lower level position Right. Um, and, and being available has got to be difficult. Um, it really, it has mostly in my early mothering days, right. You know, um, and I, I think we talked about this before too, is, is that I think the reason there's so few women, at least in hockey in higher executive positions is because there's that really interesting time between 24 and 30 where women until men can figure out how to have children, that we've got to go do that. We've got to go, um, you know, if you want to have children in your life, you got to produce them. So we, <laughs> we do that. And, um, I will say that the best, um, answer for me on that was, uh, the, the ownership that I worked with, uh, both in San Diego and here in Charlotte, 
Um, it was sort of a non-negotiable um, point of my employment was that I would need the flexibility to be the mom that I want to be. And I can do both. But sometimes that, that's at the expense of my sanity and health and being um, willing to admit that sometimes you're overwhelmed and you're not a nice person. And um, I think so much of what happens with my own girls is they, they can see it coming. They can see the unraveling and and trying to say that it never happens is would just be ludicrous. And I would be a total liar. Um, you know, we've got 38 games a season and they've got their own, however many games per sport that they play plus homework and all of that. And sometimes you just, you, it's like you have too many tabs open on your computer, but that's in your right. brain. Right. <laughs> and yeah. it just, it just crashes. And I will either end up crying in the corner, sucking my thumb until somebody comes and soothes me. <laughs> 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 or I'll Back just... Back to that bottle of vodka. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, so anyway, I, uh, yeah. I, have a, I have a very, um, very understanding family, but mostly because we have the dialogue. I will say that to the girls and I've got a 14, almost 15 year old and a 10 year old that, listen, I'm feeling really stressed and I'm probably going to snap unreasonably at you and it's not going to seem fair and I'm going to apologize now and I will apologize after. I promise you, but just let, let it happen. <laughs> Just having that self-awareness is is something that, again, not a lot of people have. Yeah, you know? totally. And I think I think it can be so important. I mean, I know for me, <laughs> when I get like that, and I don't have kids, um, but when I get like that at work, it's usually when I'm trying to, to fulfill demands all over the place and trying right. to do it in a way that I think, or in a time frame that I think, I think the expectations are, which is now. <laughs> well, and, and I'm sure you're the same way that the, um, the re retaining the reputation that you've built across the entire duration of your career is, is so important and so hard when you feel like you are at your worst, right? Like I feel right. like sometimes nobody sees it on the outside. It's like the back of house thing. Nobody knows how hard that some days I struggle to be really great at all things. And there's just, it, you know, the expectation that you can do that is, is really unreasonable. Um, but I worry about my reputation as a parent to my kids, my reputation as a, as a leader to my staff, my reputation as the person the, our owner has put me in charge of, of his asset. Right. Right. And if, if they knew how, um, how sort of uncertain I feel at this one moment, I fear that that would damage my reputation. So I worry about that a lot unnecessarily. Like I've, I work on it. I feel like, the best thing that I've done is carve out one hour per day that I go to yoga. Like that's a non-negotiable. Nobody schedules lunches, generally speaking, because I know that's my time. <laughs> so, I mean, that goes to a question that I usually ask, which is what you do for self-care. So that's one of yes. the things that you do. Yes. And so each one of our staff members also has a gym membership that we provide. And I'm pretty, um, it's pretty much a non-negotiable thing for them to have to go and work out. And I don't care if they, you know, go sit in the sauna for an hour, just get out of the office and spend some time on their physical self. Um, because I think we all know how much exercise raises your endorphins and all of the positive hormones in your body. And you're just better. You're just better on all levels to manage stress. So that is my self-care is that one hour of just no, like uninterrupted, um, peace. I am uh, going to goat yoga tomorrow. Uh, you know, I saw that on the news. <laughs> <laughs> the goats like jump on your back, right? I'm that so excited. Fantastic. I am so jealous. I wanted to go to cat yoga because they have cat yoga in yeah. Oakland. Yeah. I, I, wanted, I want to do that too. I want to do that. <laughs> 
all animal yoga sounds well, so really the, fantastic. So the, first of all, I just, I, I, before I get into the other thing that is, is going to make me snort laugh. Um, <laughs> I, I do want to say, I didn't know about this um, mandate that you have of your staff mm-hmm. with the gym membership and using it. And I just want to tell you that that, I mean, you're an incredible boss for doing that. That is, that is not something you see ever. Um, And I think, I think it's great. And also very like, very new company ish, you know, with that millennial age and all of that. It's interesting you say that. So yesterday, um, so our gym is, you know, a short walk from our office and there, and uh, there were nine of them at the gym at the same time. And there's something really um, sort of humbling and powerful about doing a power yoga or sculpt yoga class next to a new employee, right? Like you are stripping yourself down. You are in your tight yoga pants. <laughs> you know, you're, there's, there's no room for judgment. You're just exercising and making some, making yourself feel better and doing something good for yourself. And there were eight of us in there and that gym doing something great for themselves. And there was just a sort of a different vibe in the office that afternoon. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is working. This is working. Everybody's, everybody's exercising. We're hopefully increasing the longevity of our species. (laughs) (laughs) Our insurance costs are going to go down. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that for one. Yes. is helpful. Um, Yeah. We, we, we have our, um, our gym, like, you know, within our, within our building. And it's the one that the, the players use. We will have that open at certain, it's always after work and it's certain days a week. And it, it's a little more limited once the guys are here, obviously, but in the off season, I think it's five days a week um, after work, which a, a fair amount of people take advantage of. Um, sure. I don't. But that's mostly because I hate gyms. Like I hate them. <laughs> I hate them. Do you hate them because of that? Like you don't like the weights, or do you not like the classes, or you just hate the the idea of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, all, the, all of that. <laughs> the only and uh, the only one that I have consistently gone to, and I'm not right now, mostly because it's just so expensive, is Orange Theory. Oh uh, yes, I've heard of that. And I mean, it's a phenomenal workout and it's, it's just enough that like I'm interested and I stay interested, but also everyone else is doing something and you can see that they're all doing something. And I think part of it's like, I feel like an idiot half the time in just your standard gym. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, I, I dated someone who owned a gym once and I never walked into that gym ever. (laughs) I don't blame you. (laughs) I mean, it's just not. Not a thing. Um, so the other thing is you have famous cats. They are and, so famous. And they're actually staring at me right now, which is so therapeutic. Are they? So <laughs> Rick and Cheeto, which, <laughs> so I, first I saw this in one of like the articles or something I was reading about you. And I was like, oh God, Rick and Cheeto, that's the best. And then I went to their Instagram page and immediately started snort laughing. Because Cheeto is this long-haired orange fluff 
Mm-hmm. And then Rick is a black and white cat. He, yeah. He, um, I don't know. I kind of feel like Rick, Cheeto's very refined. Sort of like Oscar, Oscar and Felix. You know, he's very refined. He's got this beautiful plush tail. Both of them are rescues from the Humane Society. And then Rick, much like his name, he's just like a truck. He's like utilitarian. You know, <laughs> he's got this fat back thing that, when he runs it like throws him off kilter <laughs> he i don't know he's kind of he can kind of be i don't know he's very aloof but then he's really lovey and he's he just loves the streets and anyway so there are two totally differently distinct personalities but they fill my cup i swear i've always been an animal person i think i told you this i volunteer at the kitten nursery at the animal care and control here and feed baby kittens and yeah um, Rick and Cheeto are, <laughs> I mean, the names characters. are phenomenal. Who came up with them? Okay. So Cheeto is orange. So we were trying to think of something cute that was orange and that's what my girls came with up with. And then Rick <laughs> is, um, Jamie and I, um, we just love the walking dead series. Okay. And, and Rick Grimes is the protagonist in that, um, in that series. And he's just a badass. Like he's just a really badass. <laughs> so it's uh we named him rick after the walking dead (laughs) oh my gosh so um the instagram is great and i'll have a link to it um i love the picture of cheeto right now with his little tongue out um and you're right he does look kind of regal like yeah he's he's just the best and he's so purry and I don't know. He's well, just... that's orange boys. I mean, orange boy yeah. cats do that. I mean, they are just, they're mama's boys. They re- Well, and daddy's boys. They, they just are. They're such loves. Yes. And you have cats, right? Yeah. So I have, I have my orange boy is Simon. Okay. And then um, I have a torty girl named Zoe. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. Okay. You have two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is the line. There's a bright line. So. Uh, I believe in the bright line rule when it comes okay. to the number of cats. If you are a single person, I was going to say female, but I think this goes with boys, men too. Um, if you are single and do not have a family, mm-hmm. two cats is fine. They're keeping each other company. They're buddies. You've got stuff to do. They have someone to keep them entertained. Three, and you're a crazy cat person. <laughs> I know, but Bobby Sue, at some point, I feel like I'm going to be okay with being a crazy cat person. But you're not single and you have kids. So I know it's helpful, but I am, I'm, I am nearing 40 and I just have the two and the, I mean, I love dogs too. I, I'm a total animal person except reptilian and bugs and um, like anything I can cuddle with basically. And, Mm -hmm. and I also have no use for fish anymore. Um, yeah, they, it's just dumb to me, but that's fine. I'm <laughs> sure, I will get some hate mail for that, but no, it's totally probably. okay. I don't think but, fish should be in a cage, nor should um, birds, but that's okay. <laughs> right? Yeah, birds are weird to me too. I just don't get it. Um, yeah. So there's a joke that a lot of people have with me, which is like, "Uh oh, you're going to go to the shelter. You're going to get another cat." I'm like, no. I purposely live in places that only allow me to have two. Right. <laughs> oh, guess you have external boundaries being set right. to you by other people. <laughs> so I, I can't get a puppy. <laughs> I can't get another cat. Like nothing because yeah. my lease is two. 
So, and these guys, I mean, these two are just, they're, they're so good. You know, they're super sociable. Um, Simon and well, and Zoe, they run to the front door. When I come home, he plops on his side purring, you know, they're like, she talks. I'm shocked that she isn't up on the couch next to me right now, actually talking. It's she's been recorded before <laughs> for the uh, podcast. That's, that's so funny. I thought that was going to happen, too, because Rick was sitting right here staring at me. And he's usually very chatty, too. I'm like, oh, no, I'm this is going to go so sideways. <laughs> and I'm OK with it. I tell um, the guys at RadioInfluence.com that uh, that work on my audio editing um, they're great and they live near me. Um, so they're, one of them is usually at my place. If I have somebody here. Oh, hi, Rick. <laughs> yeah, you can hear him. <laughs> but like, boy. I tell him, I'm like, leave it in. If there's a cat meowing, leave it in a dog. Yeah. I don't care. It's for fine. sure. Okay. Well, Rick will now be even more famous than he already is. And I will say Rick and Cheeto were the ambassadors for my first ever Catter Day um, promotion what? here in Charlotte, Charlotte last year. So I had oh. done the pooch party for several years where you could bring your dog to a game and we'd had dog rescues and the whole game was themed around the dogs. When the oh, players no, came out, it. we, we had, we did a rang a doorbell. So the whole place started barking. It was hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, being the cat person that I am, I was adamant that if, we have to have equal treatment for the, the felines of the world. So we had our first Catterday last year and we had a, a rescue organization on before the game. And I, I want to say, I have to check, but most all the cats got adopted and every single one of my staff wore some sort of cat outfit. Um, <laughs> we had one of our staff members dress up in a full cat costume that I ordered on Amazon. And then we oh had a God. giant laser pointer that we shone throughout the arena <laughs> during the intermission. And all he did was chase it. That was the whole thing. <laughs> it was oh so great and so many fun. I mean, you can go into the uh, rabbit hole on the internet when you start looking at cat videos. So we played those on the scoreboard. It was the game was close to sold out. It was so fun. People that had never come to a checkers game came just because they were cat people. And then that That's turned into a relationship with the animal care and control. So we're going to have an adopt their mobile adopt to van thing at the Catter Day this year. So I will have to send you some pictures. from that. Are you kidding? When is Catter Day this year? Maybe I'll come up for it. Yeah, it's in March. I will send you the date. I can't remember exactly the date, but it's Pooch Party and then Catter Day. So that would be amazing. I, um, <laughs> Oh my God. I can't wait to see videos of that. You know, the, the, um, the Tampa Bay Rays did this past year. And of course I went, um, they have, uh, like their secondary mascot is DJ Kitty. Oh, nice. And it's like this, you know, cat mascot that is a DJ essentially. Oh. And so they did, they had a DJ Kitty onesie giveaway of course they did (laughs) yeah and let me tell you i have never seen so many grown men walking around in cat onesies in my life (laughs) and it was amazing oh my god that's fantastic i gotta look into that i gotta find out who their vendor was (laughs) it was great i mean they had i think they had like you know they gave away it was for the first like five thousand people i think and, um, which, you know, they, they struggle with attendance sometimes. So, right. um, this ended up being, I think a, a sellout game for them or very wow. close to it. There were people coming 
getting the onesies and just leaving, which is never what you want. But I I get I guess that's proof of a solid promotion. Right. Absolutely. Um, And I was just thinking maybe I could invite him to DJ our game. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? And then that would be be phenomenal. (laughs) I can do the onesies again. That would be really funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, look at this making connections through the podcast. (laughs) So fun. (laughs) I'm just thinking of all the things I just said that are making me sound like I'm a total nut job, but that's okay. But they don't. I think, you know, one of the things, and I told you this early on, one of the things that I like about doing this is it allows, um, the guests, you, to be able to be like your total person and not just the, you know, really maybe tough or, I mean, I know you're super friendly at where you work. Um, I probably go on the more tough side um, where I work. Um, But like that, you know, that exterior that sometimes we have to put up in order to be able to do our jobs effectively because we're women. Yeah, Um, definitely. Totally agree with you. And so it allows you to kind of share a little bit more about yourself and just kind of feel comfortable doing that. And I don't think it, any of it makes you sound crazy whatsoever. <laughs> um, clearly, I support all of it. Well, and it's at some point, at the, it, and I, even, I think the word crazy is probably the, um, I really actually like that part of me. I like that part of me because it, the, it's, it's, it's fun, right? Like, yeah. to your point, I, I mean, the professionalism and all of that, everybody kind of knows that and sees that on a regular basis, but I, um, I love the fun part and that's who like really who like gives me the, the character that I think that I'm really most happy with. <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, and I've kind of, <clears throat> I, I toe the line with like maybe being too much myself sometimes <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and having to pull it back. Um, that happens sometimes with social media. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll get a look the next day from my boss and then I'll say, okay, fine. Um, yeah. let me go right. fix that. But, um, <laughs> but that's just, that's my snark too. Right. And my, you know, my, and that's the new England snark that, <laughs> yes. like, that doesn't, yeah. uh, always translate well. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's a, you learn, but I, I think it's important to be able to, you know, feel comfortable in who you are. Absolutely. 100% agreed. Um, what are some of the resources that you have used in the past when, um, you know, when you're trying to work on, say, leadership style or or management or just to continuously be learning? <clears throat> um, I, you know, it's, I read a lot of books. Um, I we have we, I have to follow up on it this year, but we had a, a sort of a, a women's group in our office. Um, where we had two books and um, everybody had to read it and then kind of just talk, we got together in a later time and kind of went over the context of the book. And one of them was the female perspective, which I felt um, I I really enjoyed, I'd say 95% of it and felt like it was um, really helped me kind of evaluate the way that I was managing, especially the younger staff. And I, I consult with my senior staff on a, um, on a very regular basis about their perspective on how we are doing as, as managers. Like it's, you know, so easy to kind of get caught in your own wheelhouse. And, you know, especially in your forties, you start to lose touch with people that are in their twenties because you're just not hanging out in the same place. And one of the exercises that we went through the last time was understanding. So I'm X generation. And then the millennial generation is who a lot of our staff is and understanding how those two uh, generations can coexist 
um, and sort of defining that to our millennials, like this is how the X generation sees things. And this is how the millennial generation sees things. So as you're a millennial working for an X, maybe this, this will be helpful for you in, in being more productive under my expectations. And conversely, it's important that you understand that I'm trying to figure out what makes you tick and I don't expect you to be me and those types of things. So, um, uh, I'd say mostly a lot of reading and then consulting with other leaders in the business. There's 30 other, there's 30 other teams in the American hockey league of which we are all very, I wouldn't say all, but the majority of the teams that are, um, similarly operated to me, we have a really good working group of, of, uh, presidents and CEOs that we get together three or four times a year at our meetings and go through ongoing, um, best practices. Um, the league does a very good job of sending out really good best practices on, on things that are kind of being developed in the world of, of pro hockey. And, um, and I probably sh- should probably have more independent leadership training. I just wonder where I find the time for that. You know? Right. Right. No, I get it. What was the <laughs> other book? Um, I'll say it's the female perspective and, um, that's really bad. I have to remember what it was. I don't think we finished it yet. I don't know. I'm going to have to get back to you because I can't remember right now. That's fine. Um, <laughs> I would, I was just going to, I'll throw links to those on um, the blog yeah. post that eventually gets up. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, as well. I think it's um, something about extraordinary. <clears throat> anyway, and we haven't finished it or have I started it yet? So I have a, I don't have a whole lot of commentary on that one yet. <laughs> Do you, um, are you still, um, the only female COO or president in the AHL or pro hockey? Yes. All right. Yes. As of the last time we checked, I, I probably should go fact check that again. But as, as far as I know, I'm the only one there's a, it may be an ECHL, maybe vice president, senior vice president of business operations, um, in Cincinnati. I got to check on that. But I think you- I'm the only one do you um do you participate in any of the women in sports groups or even women in business groups in your local community yes um yes i do we've got uh, through the uh, game changers uh sports business journal game changers event and the sports business journals are housed out of charlotte i don't know if you knew that but they have a, a lot of uh, mentoring opportunities and um, groups that can get together and, and mentor younger women. There's also a women in business um, uh, group here that I participate in. And then there's another one that's called Coffee and Conversation. That's, you know, we have a lot of really high power bankers and a lot of women leaders here in Charlotte that get together, you know, once or twice every two or three months just for conversation. It's like, it's not structured. Yeah. It's just, Let's get together. Let's have a couple really nice snacks and drinks and yeah. that's it. And it's really nice because it's very disarming. There's no agenda. You don't have to stay the whole time. You can come in for 15 to 20 minutes and then you can leave. Um, yeah. So those, those things I try to do on a regular basis. That's really good. Um, I think the coffee and conversations one is, uh, I'm guessing it's all people above a certain level, right? Yes, <clears throat> definitely. Which, which makes it. And not to sound elitist or anything, but at some point, particularly in sports, I think um, those open events become mini interviews um, with, you know, uh, younger either students or people earlier in their career. Um, I mean, I've gotten tag teamed by students before and I'm always more than happy to 
to have a conversation with them on, you know, a phone call or something. Those events, it can be really difficult though, because there's so much going on. And, um, and it's also important, I think, to have a network of your peers. So people at that same level who you can bounce ideas off of that are going to be non-judgmental and, and, and get it. Yeah. And this, that, that group specifically, um, uh, to your point is, is a very, it's a very small, I'd say there's probably 30 maybe total women on it and they are Mm -hmm. all in very similar positions to mine, but like banking and hospital and, um, um, you're right. It's a really great opportunity just to have, um, like conversations like this, like, you know, sometimes I do want to go cry (laughs) in the corner. And I can't because I've got, you know, I've got to go do whatever it is you do in your specific job for that week. And you've got to travel. And um, so that group is really awesome um, for that reason. And to your point, there's no um, there's no expectations and nobody's nobody's asking anything of you other than just to chat. Right. Yeah, it's great. That's phenomenal. Um, Are you coming down here for All Stars? Um, Maybe. I don't know yet. For We're the NHL, about it's the offline. Yeah, it's yeah. NHL. Um, it maybe. just popped into my brain. Yeah. Um, our AHL All-Star break is in Utica, New York. So that comes up at the end of the month and depends on travel schedules. But um, the last NHL All-Star was in Nashville, and I heard that was just absolutely just an awesome, awesome experience. So I would love to, uh, when it was in Raleigh, it was fantastic too. So it's a really great event. Yeah, and I would just say, given who's helping with it here, mm-hmm. um, the Tampa Bay Sports Commission, they're unbelievable. Um, really? Yeah, I mean, they're the ones who put on um, college football championships last year. Oh, and, nice. And they're just, they're so good at what they do. Um, and I, I'm, I was reminded of, and that's where the question came from, because one of the people on, on that, you know, in that group is Claire Lessinger and um, she actually has a similar to like the coffee and conversations group of yours. Oh, nice. She, oh, nice. Yeah. She has a um, kind of like, it's like a happy hour once every quarter or so that will go out to like a select group of women that are in sports business above a certain level. And, um, and it's kind of the same thing and it's really cool. Yeah, there's, um, we need more of those women actually that, that have time and energy to organize those groups. And I would love to be, I think when my girls get just a little bit older, I'll be able to kind of orchestrate that more. Jessica Berman at the NHL, uh, office headquarters, she's wanted to do sort of a summit somewhere where you bring, you know, sort of VP and C level, uh, um, uh, women from all over the industry, whether it's a, you know, sports caster or like I said, legal or whatever, and just bring them to a summit and try to figure out ways to keep our younger girls in it longer. Um, and just to get the similar, it's like a bigger grand scale coffees and conversation, coffee and conversation discussion on, um, women in sports. And, um, so we're, she's talked to me once about it and I think like anything, time just gets away from us, but I will keep you posted on that because that would be a really great thing to go to. Yeah, please do. Um, that sounds phenomenal. And I would obviously be in, um, yeah, you know, and I think that's part of why I've, I've done the podcast, um, is to, I mean, I'm kind of 
building this tribe, you know, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. women who I've actually now connected a few of them to each other for different things. Very, it, like very random things. Um, but like Jen Welter has been um, thinking about starting a foundation. So I put her in touch with Allison Gorell at Plan A Management. And then um, you've got Carrie Potts, who um, uh, is in talks to sell her life rights. And Denise White has already gone through that. And so I connected the two of them and like all these crazy things that, that come up. And it's so fun to to introduce everyone, but also like to put, be able to put everyone out there so that others have a way to learn from, from you all and, um, and to see the different things that everyone could do. Yeah, no, I, uh, I was, I mean, to that point you were, when you sent out your last tweet uh, regarding your upcoming schedule of speakers, I mean, it was, it just opened the horizons. I followed everybody on that list and, you, you know, it's really great to, cause now I'm seeing their tweets and, and kind of going down, like I said, the rabbit hole of what they're all about. And, yeah, and uh, it's just, it's really interesting because sometimes you just kind of get in the same rut of the same people that you follow on social media. And I was really impressed with that. I'm like, Oh, okay. So they followed me right back and, and it just yeah. uh, opens, um, opens doors. They're so excited. And actually one of my good friends um, was, sending me a message earlier. I was like, Oh, I'm prepping for one of the uh, podcast interviews. Um, it's going to be great. I, you know, she's got all this stuff in her background. That's so fun. And she's like, Oh, who is it? And I, I told her who you are. And she's like, Oh, I think I followed her from that tweet that you sent. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> and, and, and that's just what's been happening. And it's so fun um, for me to be able to be that connector, but also I think for other people and um, you know, I'm thankful for, people like you who take the time to talk to me on the phone for a while and then take the time to do this recording because I know your life is hectic as all get out. And, um, you know, there are things you could be doing like, you know, taking a cat nap on this catter day with, with my cat, with Rick and Cheeto. <laughs> Oh, oh, that's coming. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's uh, funny. I, um, I, you know, in keeping with that, what you were just saying, what I love most about um, not only my industry, but just being a female in general, is that there's a, a very, um, it's much different than the male gender, in my opinion, that I've seen so far. I'm not saying completely isolating them differently, but is that the the true friendships that are developed out of these types of things are life, I tend to be lifelong, right? Like the women right. that are in my groups that I go to, I literally feel emotionally attached to them for whatever whatever reason we have along the way that has made them endearing to me. And when they need something, I literally want to do everything in my power to make sure that that happens. So if you called me and said, Hey, listen, I need to, I'd love to connect you to this person. I would do it in two seconds because it's a, it's a female thing. Like it's a building a relationship that's longstanding. It will stand the test of time beyond whatever career choices you make. You've made a connection that becomes a friendship. And I think we're just, we're different that way. That's, you know. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I mean, my my boss is the is hands down the best networker I've ever met in my life. Man knows everybody um, and he will go out of his way and, and he is really good. <clears throat> He's a rarity in my mind totally. um, when I see these other. And for me, like the women who I've had on the podcast that I've most of them, I didn't know before I started this podcast idea. Uh, right. many I've never met 
in person, um, but who like I know I can reach out to for anything and 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 they can with me as well. Sure. And they know that. And, um, you know, and checking in with them, being like, hey, what's going on in your world? What do you want to do in 2018? How can I help you get there? Exactly. I mean, I've been I've been doing a lot of that over the last like week or two. And, um, you know, it's exciting to see what just putting a little spotlight on them can do for them. Um, and, you know, being able to watch their progression and and then just, you know, having an amazing group of women right. that I can call my friends. Well, and you've got this wonderful platform that, I mean, it's, you know, I'm sure it's a lot of work for you, but you are, you are, um, you know, congregating a group of people that probably would have never crossed paths otherwise, had you not simply made a phone call or Troy Corby, for example, wouldn't have suggested right. that you and I talk. Like, I feel like it's such a great, such a, like an organic, wonderful network. And I, um, I'm really grateful for it. I think it's such a nice thing that you've done. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And um, I'm, it makes me so happy to do and to just reach out to people. And uh, I, you know, over the last week or two have sent some emails to people who I never would have imagined <laughs> in this world trying to get in touch with and, um, you know, seeing where those go. But uh, I'm, it, it's a, it's the single most important thing I did last year. Right. Was oh, just awesome. jumping into this. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Well, it's motivated me. First of all, I started listening to podcasts mostly because of our conversation. Cause it's sort of been a um, late to the party with that, but it's a, <laughs> it's a, you know what it else it is. It's a really wonderful way to be non-distracted in your car. Like I have no yeah. desire when I'm listening to a podcast or one of your podcasts to do anything but drive. You know, so I will say, sure, I'll do carpool or, you know, right. <laughs> and I don't want to pick up my phone. I just want to listen. I just want to sit there and listen. So it's sort of taking us back to the time when people gathered around the radio and actually listened to it because they wanted to. <laughs> right. Right. I so agree. It's, it's really great. Thank you to Tara for being on the podcast. I enjoyed our conversation so much and I really do hope that I get to see her in the very near future, whether it be at the next Ketter Day that they hold or um, the All-Star Game down here in a couple of weeks. Um, for all of you, thank you for rating the uh, podcast. There have been quite a few of you who have done it over the past week. There's still about 9,500 of you who haven't, but that's okay. I know you're just, you got things to do. Um, but please, if you could rate, review, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play. That's my cat in the background. Sorry. Um, RadioInfluence.com and tune in. And, um, you know, I appreciate you all for listening and continuing to share. Um, make sure you check us out at LTPF Pod on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Um, and shoot us any messages at ltpfpod at gmail.com. And my personal Twitter is at Bobby Sue, B-O-B-B-I-S-U-E. And once again, thank you to the guys at radioinfluence.com for making these sound good and for always being there for me when I'm having a little bit of a, a meltdown moment. There were a few of those this past year, and I haven't thanked you enough. Have a great week, everyone. 
I'm Jerry Petuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. 